celebrating the connection with our pets. This is Animal Radio, featuring your dream team, veterinarian Dr. Debbie White and groomer Joey Villani. And here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. Uh, get ready to call in and ask your questions about your pets for Dr. Debbie or Joey Volani. The number is 1-866-405-8405. You can also ask your questions from the free Animal Radio app for iPhone, Android, and BlackBerry. But it's more fun to talk to you, and we'd love to talk to you today. And we'll go to the phones in just a couple of seconds. Judy has booked an amazing show today. I'm real excited about this guest here. Which one? This one right here. That one? Me too. You're so organized. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) How long have you ever owned a pet? This is a question I'm asking everybody within the sound of my voice right now. Because for me, maybe 17 years old, I I had a cat, Mm -hmm. which is a long time to have a pet. I had a dog till 18 years of age. You had a dog till 18. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, almost two decades. I've never had anything over 20 years. Joey has a bird who's been with him for a long time. 30-something years. That's a pretty long time to have a pet. Yes. What about you, Lori? How long have you had a pet? A horse, uh, 17 years. Dr. Debbie, have you seen anyone at your office that's had a pet for a long time? Oh, gosh, yeah. I've had um, some dogs to live even longer than my, my own family have had. I've had uh, 21 and 23-year-old um, uh, poodles wow. Um, wow. that were really in great health um, up until the very end. So that's for the dogs. And then I'd say the other animal that I see that's quite old, older than much of my staff, is a Amazon parrot that's uh, 46 years of age. Oh. And, uh, yeah, so that one uh, out outranks everyone with... Uh, a, rights in my clinic uh, based on its age hierarchy so we're going to be talking to gina smith in just a few minutes she's had her pet since she was well let's just put it this way since the kennedy administration jeez and the pet's still alive and well and may outlive her well anyone want to take a guess at what kind of animal dr debbie i'm sure knows i was going to say a bird a bird yeah that's a good guess. yeah i would say yeah a bird or a tortoise There you go. You got it. Tortoise. She has a tortoise. She is 65 years old. Her tortoise is 56 years old. She got this tortoise as a 10-year-old kid on her 10th birthday. And she's going to tell us today a little bit about what it's like to live with a pet for pretty much your whole life. (laughs) That would be great if our cats and dogs lived that long, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. I would enjoy that. Uh, Also on the show today, we're going to be talking about schnozzes, your schnout, dog schnauts. Cat snozzes. We're talking about the snout. We're talking about the nose. We know that dogs and cats can smell really, really well. But how well? Well, there's actually a guy who's done a little bit of research in a book on it. But is he in Norway? Are we calling him in Norway? We are. Yes, we are. Well, it's got to be late there. I would think so. It's got to be in the late evening. Yeah, so he's going to stay up and talk to us. Hopefully. Hopefully he'll be there. Okay. Hopefully we won't wake him up. We'll talk to Frank Russell. He's written a book called Secrets of the Snout. And he'll tell us just exactly why that dog, whenever you go over and visit your friend, why that dog's always up in your business, you know? Because I've always <laughs> wondered that. I consider myself a clean guy. I don't think anybody should be up there in my business. But apparently <laughs> the dog thinks he. Also on the show today, you know, we're getting up to the holidays here. A lot of different holidays. It's the summer. People are heading out for the holidays for vacations. vacations. Yeah. That includes your veterinarian. Your veterinarian probably planning to take a couple of weeks off. I don't know when you're... What That's you're... like my my most dreaded time of year when yeah. you need the vet and they go, oh, she's on vacation. I know you need vacations, <laughs> but it's like, hell, what do you do? Today, we're going to talk to Dr. Dawn Crandall. She is a diplomate of the American College of Veterinary Emergency and Critical Care. It's all about emergencies for her. 
And she's going to tell us what to do just in case your veterinarian's out of town when you need veterinary care. Uh, that's on the way here on Animal Radio. Are you ready to take some calls, Dr. Debbie? Yeah, let's go to it. Well, hi, Diane. How are you? Well, I have two Persian cats. One's a white Persian with blue eyes, and the other one's a silver shadow pug face. And she was a Katrina cat, and she never, ever will go potty on her box, but she'll go potty next to her box, or she'll go potty by the door. And And do you have other pets then as well? I just have the two cats. Just the two kitties. Okay. And and they don't get along. They're both female. And um, if one's up by me, the other one doesn't come, and they won't eat in the dish at the same time. The uh, Katrina cat uh, will hiss at the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one will come and get me at any hour and make me come and watch her eat so that she can eat. Okay. All righty. And so I have a couple questions, Diane. So you have two kitties. How long did you have the first kitty before the Katrina kitty came along? Oh, a couple of years. Okay. And, and so in, during that time, it's just been those two kitties then? No other yeah, cats have been in no. the home? Okay. All right. Well, you know, when we have kitties, um, just like uh, like I like to say about my college roommates, you know, some of them get along and some of them won't get along. Cats have personalities just like people. So we do have to respect that and to really have um, realistic expectations. We're not going to make every cat like the other cat and want to tolerate them to the same level. Some cats um, are great best buds with fellow cats in the home. Others just kind of coexist and don't really have an amicable relationship with each other, but not really an aggressive relationship. And then there's the other situations where we can have spats, uh, we can have aggressive behaviors, we can have a lot of anxiety going on. And those are the ones that we really, you know, would address and, you know, look at what we can do to help you. So a couple things, you know, if we have a kitty that is, um, had a history of litter box issues, um, that can be a sign of stress, um, of the different things that kitties do. They often will hide, it's they'll pant. In that way. And when I first got her, she got underneath the bed and she wouldn't come out. So that's what I'm saying is this kitty's personality is very different and we're going to have to give her a lot of room. But the history of having litter box issues for a long period of time can be a hard thing to correct once that's been going on. So the things that I usually advise folks to look at are both the litter box environment and then the environmental stress. Um, And then we actually also throw in veterinary health or animal health. Um, So a a kitty that is not using the litter box um, reliably, either for peeing or for pooping, should go see the veterinarian. I can't stress that enough to you that um, there can be medical things that can cause a cat to initially go out of the box. I've already done that. There was nothing. Okay, so that's number one. The second thing is that we look at making her environment less stressful. And the presence of another cat is inherently stressful to a kitty like this, so we want to give her nice resources, and we want to make sure that we don't increase the competitive nature. So for kitties in a household, um, when we have cats, there's kind of a general term. We do one extra litter box more than the number of cats. So if we have two cats in a house, we would ideally like three different litter box locations that do 
decreases competitiveness for the litter box, and it can also just um, give us different um, locations so that we can have sometimes favorite boxes. Cats will choose right. to poo or pee in different boxes. Yeah. But other resources that cats will compete with and that cause a kind of quiet stress for them will be things like food, water, hiding spots, and human affection. So this is where a lot of people don't really look at how their cats can be stressed. So cats we know like to get vertical height. This is how they feel safe. They can watch out over predators or you know other uh, housemates where they're at in, in their environment, and they feel more secure knowing what's going on around them. So I like to give cats trees, window perches, and give them extra opportunities throughout the house to have those kind of places to get away. And then for food and water, we don't ask cats to share bowls. We don't want that to happen. You know, some cats, that'll be a fine arrangement, but we do not want cats that are stressed to try to compete and go to the same food bowl. So we should have multiple water and food bowls in other locations, and that should be away from where the litter location is. Yeah, I and that, that helps too. to de- And that helps to decrease their um, competitiveness for resources. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff um, is part of it. But then we talk about the litter box, and that's a whole conversation that I could carry on for about 45 minutes. So I don't have time for that, Diane, but I will give you some my points. Um, So I did mention the number of litter box. The other thing is we look for a litter box that is about one and a half times the length of the kitty's body. If you have a cover on the box, I'll say get rid of the cover. We'll switch the litter types. Um, And then definitely sometimes we will actually just switch the location because if we've had a bad history of using a litter box in one spot, logic would say, "Ah, let's go move it somewhere else. Where is the kitty eliminating? So we move it those two feet to the side or we move it in front of the door, the window, where the kitty's already having those uh, urine or fecal accidents. And if that's where they choose it, we do that. And um, we can change different substrates in the litter box, the, you know, clumping litter, clay litter. Sometimes they'll even put carpet segments in the litter box if they're already eliminating on carpet. If they like it and they're using it, I'm just going to try to make them do it in the right spot. Uh-huh. So there's that's definitely a lot that we can work with and try to do. Um, then I kind of pair that also with positive exposures. So, you know, your two kitties to have them in the same room would be a great thing. And the way to do that is to feed them nearby each other. We are not going to ask them to go face to face or nose to nose in the same bowl, but maybe separated through a, a door or through a um, area where they can just kind of hear each other. And that's where we're going to feed them, give them good, rich, nice canned food, let them enjoy it and have a positive association with the site smell and the location of the other kitty around and it's going to take time and let's start with some of those numbers of those resources and and see if that'll help you out dr debbie you said if there was a hood on the litter box then you would tell them to take the hood off now is that because you're just trying to switch it up or because you don't think that hoods on litter boxes are conducive to cats pottying in there well, in, in this situation, there's two things I would think of. One is that sometimes um, the presence of a cover on a litter box, um, it, it, the cats will touch the cover, and it's kind of like being in an outhouse. You know, nobody wants their elbows to be touching an outhouse when you're out at the fair. <laughs> so cats, is, can, it could be the same thing. They find it an aversive thing. Um, the other thing would be is if we're worried about a territorial um, issue where there's another cat in the house, sometimes the fear of coming out of that enclosed space and getting attacked can be an issue for kitties. So um, not having that cover can uh, sometimes help. Sometimes it's the opposite, where it actually gives them some visual security. Interesting. 
This healthy serving of Animal Radio is brought to you by the grain-free Red Barn Naturals canned food for dogs and cats. Always made in the USA with natural, functional ingredients to support your pet's optimal health. Their website's redbarninc.com. And thank you, Red Barn, for underwriting Animal Radio. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. When Helen Brown ran away to New York City, she had no idea that a homeless cat with a punk rock haircut would teach her the true meaning of love. In the tradition of her best-selling memoir, Cleo, Helen Brown's Bono, The Amazing Story of a Rescue Cat Who Inspired a Community, is a heartwarming true story about a woman without an anchor and a homeless cat without much hope of finding a forever home in the city that never sleeps. Bono by Helen Brown is on sale now everywhere books are sold. Learn more at HelenBrown.com. Does your dog keep running out of your yard? Have an invisible fence that just doesn't work? You need a Pet Playgrounds dog fence. It's a physical fence that can be assembled by yourself or by one of our installers. The Dig Guard prevents dogs from digging under the fence. It's a strong yet flexible steel mesh system that moves. This stops dogs from climbing too. Thousands of customers have used a Pet Playgrounds dog fence to keep their dogs safe over the past 10 years. Order your fence at PetPlaygrounds.com and use the coupon code ANIMALRADIO to save 10% on any order that's 200 feet or more. Visit PetPlaygrounds.com and get your dog fence in 10 days or less. Ship it to your door in 10 days or less. Visit PetPlaygrounds.com for the best. Visit PetPlaygrounds.com and get your dog fence in 10 days or less. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. It is Animal Radio, celebrating the connection with our pets. And I'm thinking it's about vacation time for you, Dr. Debbie, isn't it? I've been saying the same thing, but nobody's listening to me. (laughs) Well, what happens when you go on vacation? What happens to your patients? Well, you know, I'm fortunate that I I work in a practice that we have uh, other doctors on site, so we don't have to close our doors. But in in a small practice where there may be only one or two veterinarians, it could mean that there is nobody available when the when the lone veterinarian goes away on vacation. Mm. That could create a bind for people that uh, don't have a vet in the nearby area for them. So we're going to talk to Dr. Dawn Crandall in just a few minutes, and she's going to tell us what to do when your vet is out of town. And that's in about 15 minutes right here on Animal Radio. Lori, what are you working on? Oh, gosh. You know how everybody's got an opinion on what needs to happen with the world of flying animals or... Um, flying animals? Service animals. You mean like birds? <laughs> animals flying in airplanes oh, with humans. Oh. And are they legitimate service animals, etc.? This has gotten to be such a heated issue that now the Federal Department of Transportation is soliciting everybody's comments. And we'll tell you how you can make your voice heard in that debate in uh, just a few minutes when we come back with the news. one 405 Well, hi, Patricia. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Doing great. Where are you calling from? Iowa. Iowa? Yeah. Do you have any pets? I got three. What What kind of pets do you have? I've got a 15-year-old poodle terrier. I've got a 10-year-old Yorkie terrier. And I got a 5-year-old miniature chihuahua. Wow, you got a lot of pets. <laughs> I love them all. It's a pretty full household, isn't it? Uh, it's just me and my dogs. Yeah. How long have they been with you? Um, 
I had peas 15 years. And uh, uh, Piper, I've had 10. And Minnie, I've had about five. Oh, that's wonderful. Are you having any issues with your babies at all? Well, yeah. They get real antsy and very nervous and shaky in the car. And uh, I'm going on vacation next month. And I get okay. to take it. I'm, I'm going to take them with me. It's about a six-hour drive. Okay. I was wondering if there's something I could give them or something that, that I could do to, uh, to relax them on the drive. Well, yeah, there certainly are. But there's a couple things that, you know, we look at when dogs are traveling. Now, does anyone ever get sick to their stomach? Do they ever vomit? No. Okay, so they're just excited. They're running around. They're panting. They're carrying yeah. on in that way. Okay, so um, a lot of what they've learned to do in the car is just what they're repeating. So we haven't given them any, really any other opportunity to learn something different. So okay. the best way to handle this is actually to have them relearn how we expect and we want them to travel in the car. And there's a couple ways we can do that, which is different than just purely sedating a dog to get them through a car trip because um, that doesn't always give us the result we want and we're really not helping the pet. Um, we're not helping them cope and to learn with how to manage this in the future. So the best way I help uh, dogs with uh, travel anxiety is a couple things. Um, one is I like to get them used to the car and make that a favorable place, but they also have to behave calmly in the car. So an example I will give you is my, my little terrier would do this where he'd get in the car and he'd sit there and go, <laughs> and he'd do that. So what I did is I ignored him. I looked the other way. And then he, when he was quiet for that one second to two seconds, I took a treat and I handed it to him. And okay. I said, good boy. And I, he soon learned that when I, when he was quiet and he didn't act up, that he got love and rewards from me, not getting attention for barking, running around the, the car and all that. So that takes some work, and you may need to work with each pet individually um, rather than try to kind of corral three dogs doing this kind of training. Um, the other thing would be is um, that I'd also recommend other things to help them be calm in the car. Number one can be to give them some sense of comfort and confinement. And confinement is such a word that makes it sound so horrible, but it actually can be reassuring. So the example is, you know, kitties in cat carriers, they may go somewhere, see something that they don't like, but they can be very comforted by that kind of safe kind of haven that they have with that carrier. So same thing for dogs. We may use a dog carrier and use that kind of tethered down or a pet crate while you're traveling. Um, A seat belt. Um, pets can tolerate seat belts or seat belt seats, and that's a nice way to keep them so that they're not jumping and running around and further amping themselves up. Um, and that kind of also goes with visual stimulation. So um, some animals just looking out the window, seeing things running by, dogs, people along the way, it gets them more anxious. Okay. So that kind of fits with, you know, maybe keeping them in a kennel okay. and so that their visual um, area is confined or even having some cars have those little blinds you can pull down on the windows. Yeah. That can help to decrease what they're seeing and that can also kind of help to calm them. Okay. Um, and then there's some other, you know, tools we can use. I do like natural pheromones and some of the uh, calming supplements that contain L-theanine and the milk proteins. Those can work in a natural way, but, um, you know, it is important to use that along with training because the, really okay. the training is the biggest thing. And I think you'll, you'll find that, um, especially if you have one of your crew, and this is how it, I find it works in these little guys. Mm-hmm. Usually it's one dog that kind of sets everybody off. And that would be the dog that I would start with 
with first and really work your training efforts on and okay. kind of getting to that calm spot and rewarding calm behavior. Um, so uh, you can do it. Okay. And then definitely I'm going to just put the little blurb out there. If you're traveling with your pets, especially with the summer months, um, you want to have a collar ID on and make sure your pet is current on vaccinations and deworming okay. heartworm. Oh, yeah, I keep, I keep them all to date. Great. Very good. Oh, well, I hope that helps you out, Patricia. Thank you. Safe travels, Patricia. Thank you for Thank calling. You. Bye you now. This portion of Animal Radio is underwritten by Helen Brown. In the tradition of her best-selling memoir, Cleo, Helen Brown's Bono, The Amazing Story of a Rescue Cat Who Inspired a Community, is a heartwarming true story about a cat who just wanted a home and someone to love. Her website's HelenBrown.com. And thanks, Helen Brown, for underwriting Animal Radio. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. When Helen Brown ran away to New York City, she had no idea that a homeless cat with a punk rock haircut would teach her the true meaning of love. In the tradition of her best-selling memoir, Cleo, Helen Brown's Bono, The Amazing Story of a Rescue Cat Who Inspired a Community, is a heartwarming true story about a woman without an anchor and a homeless cat without much hope of finding a forever home in the city that never sleeps. Bono by Helen Brown is on sale now everywhere books are sold. Learn more at HelenBrown.com. My Chrysler Pacifica is totally loaded. It has stow-and-go seating, the available Uconnect theater, and listen to these speakers. Hey, Mom, what was that song? Huh? What song? Chrysler Pacifica. It's loaded with attitude. Chrysler is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. This is an Animal Radio News Update. I'm Lori Brooks. The Department of Transportation has announced it is asking for comment from you, everybody, all of us, from the public, in order to draft rules uh, for dealing with animals flying with passengers on planes. Yes, they're finally getting to this. So the proposal asks for comments for about 45 days. And the questions that they're asking are whether to treat psychiatric service animals the same as other service animals, such as for the blind and deaf, how to distinguish emotional support animals from other service animals, whether to require ESAs to travel in containers or on a leash while they are in the plane, uh, potentially limiting the types of animals qualifying as emotional support animals is something else they will consider, and potentially prohibiting airlines from requiring veterinary health forms or shot records for service animals. Now, because of all of this rulemaking is the official process that they call it, the department says it will focus enforcement on clear violations of current rules that could affect the largest number of passengers. So if you would like to make a public comment, you have to file it. It's all done officially. You go to the website regulations.gov. And because it's such a, a long uh, internet address, and also because um, I've tried 85 different ways of searching for it, and I know the title of this document, it's going to be easier if we put it on our website, which Hal will do within the next three minutes. I will do that. I'm doing and, it right uh, now. Okay, good. And, uh, you've got it already, but it needs to be on there so that we have an easy link for people to put their comments. And it uh, should be in the list of what's trending near the bottom of the page when you go to regulations.gov. Of, but uh, if it's not there, just come on back to AnimalRadio.com and we'll have it for you here. I'm Lori Brooks. Get more breaking animal news anytime at AnimalRadio.com. 
This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. This portion of Animal Radio is underwritten by Fear Free. Fear Free takes the pet out of petrified and puts the treat into treatment. To learn more and find a certified Fear Free veterinary professional near you, visit FearFreePets.com. It's Animal Radio, celebrating the connection with our pets year-round, 24-7. And I'm very familiar with Murphy. Murphy of uh, Murphy's Law. Murphy's Law. <laughs> when do you need your vet? Oh, when your vet's on vacation. That's when you need the vet the most. That's are you, when you, or you're on vacation. You're on vacation, yeah. Joining us right now is Dr. Dawn Crandall. She's a diplomate of the American College of Veterinary Emergency and Critical Care and a fear-free practitioner. Doctor, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. So what are the circumstances which we might not be able to contact a vet when we need one? Um, gosh, in this age of more and more connectivity, fortunately, it's getting less and less. But I, I would imagine if you're on a really remote camping trip, you might have a hard time. Or if you're in an area where your cell phone coverage is poor or absent, you might have a hard time you know, reaching out to a veterinarian and, and be, be totally on your own. Fortunately, most of the time these days, there's, there's often a way to make a phone call, at least to get some advice, which is which is helpful. Well, sometimes my vet goes on vacation, she turns her phone off. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, vets are, are obligated to provide you with 24-hour care. Um, it, obviously, they can't do that themselves many times, but um, but they should forward you to uh, to another service that can offer you some care. And many veterinarians refer um, their clients to overnight care clinics or 24-hour practices when they themselves aren't available to help you. So it's certainly wise to scout out the area that you're going to be traveling to ahead of time and find out um, what veterinary clinics are in the area and what their hours are and what emergency clinics um, might be servicing them in the off hours and have that contact information available so you're not trying to look it up if you're in a frantic hurry. Mm, That's wise. I'm planning a a vacation. We're going to go camping up the coast here at Big Sur. We're planning on taking the dog with us. I just realized I probably should have some kind of, I don't know, pet first aid kit. Yeah, that's a that's a great idea. So are you looking for some ideas on what to put in it? Yeah, I have no idea. Would it be just like humans? You'd put Band-Aids in there? and uh... Similar. Band-Aid material might be a little bit different in that you, it's hard to just often slap a Band-Aid on a small cut on a dog. Uh-huh. And, and so they usually need a little bit more bandage material than you would use in a in a human. And so you would probably want to prepare yourself with a, an abundant amount of gauze squares and absorbent wrap and some of that uh, self-cling tape and adhesive tape. The other thing that's often useful in a first aid kit are um, some some medications. And again, it's totally worth a, a chat with your vet before you head off to consider uh, what medications would be useful for your particular trip and for your particular pet, and uh, if there's any other things um, going on with your pet that might alter what you would give them. But some things to think about would be um, over-the-counter antihistamines, maybe a starting dose of an antibiotic. Um, There's a couple of generic antidiarrheal medications you might want to take, a topical eye antibiotic, um, a topical antibiotic ointment, 
those kind of things are actually pretty useful on a on a trip just to get you started until you can get in to see a veterinarian. Um, other things you might want to think about would be tick pullers or fine tweezers. They make little plastic gadgets to take ticks off pretty easily, and those are pretty helpful. A pair of plastic gloves or latex gloves, you don't have to touch it. If you're in porcupine country, um, you can get a small needle-nose pliers and take out if you've do- if your dog's got just uh, you know a few like two or three quills, you can sometimes take them out if the dog is of, of a calm temperament. Um, if there's more than that, it's you, you should probably get a veterinarian to help you. Um, a bottle of eye rinse is is super helpful. Uh, a bottle um, of what? What was the that? Eye rinse, like just oh, the, eye rinse, just sterile okay. eye rinse. And the eye rinse is helpful too if you if you if they encounter a skunk because that's a pretty nasty chemical they can get in their eye. And then the other thing you might want to put in a first aid kit would be a muzzle for your dog because dogs that are really badly hurt will sometimes redirect a bite to uh, whoever touches them, and that's pretty normal behavior and not at all a comment on the friendliness of the dog. That's very normal, um, and pets or people should be be aware of that and, and have a way to protect themselves if they need to. If they are in pain, you know, you're afraid of them biting you, how do I know if it's an urgent situation or if it's a true emergency? Right, yeah, that's always a hard call if, you, if you're trying to decide if you need to kill your camping trip and get out of there to see the veterinarian. If it's a true emergency, I guess there's some obvious things. You know, if, if there's clearly a, a limb fracture, I, I think that's something you, you really need to to get in to see, obviously, right away. If your pet is, is not willing or able to get up and move around, that's usually a sign that things are pretty bad. Um, once in a while, we see pets that, you know, are, are running through the forest super fast, and they will actually... <coughs> in, oh, that's my little dog. Oh, that's a little dog? That's <laughs> my little dog, yeah. <laughs> Impale themselves on a stick. That's a true emergency. Um uh, you know, bigger bigger dogs tend to get a problem called gastric dilation and volvulus, which can come up very fast and needs to be seen as soon as possible. And those dogs would uh, have a non-productive retching and vomiting, and they are clearly something bad has happened. They are clearly sick dogs. They they have no energy. They they really they just don't want to be you know often with you because they're so distressed. Their belly might be distended. Um, those guys are pretty sick. If there is significant bleeding or hemorrhage, um, that would be something you'd you'd want to would classify as a true emergency. I would think. Um, and the other thing that vet, that owners rather could get proficient at doing, and it's really helpful, is to assess their pet's gum color. Have a look at it frequently when they're well, so you know what normal looks like. And when they're quite sick, in emer- emergency sick, their gum color looks quite pale or gray, and that's usually a pretty bad sign that things need to get seen right away. Um, you can also check their heart rate. And again, these are things that's useful to do when they're feeling well, so you have a sense of what a, your dog's normal resting heart rate is. And if it's significantly faster than that, that's usually a sign that things are not going well. And have a look at how they're breathing as well. If they have increased um, rate of breathing or clear increased effort, that's an emergency. And another thing you can check is is uh, the temperature of their 
of their peripheries of their paws, and assuming it's not cold weather, if their limbs are cold, that's usually a sign their circulation is quite poor, and that truly is an emergency as well. So those are all sort of signs that, yeah, you you better cut your trip short and and get in to see somebody right away. Since the line between urgency and emergency is so delicate and thin and sometimes you can't even see it, yeah, would you lean towards, if you just don't know, going to see the vet? For sure. It's hard to make those calls sometimes if you're not a veterinarian. And so, yeah, if, if you are at all concerned, it's, it's worthwhile. Dr. Don Crandall, thank you so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. My pleasure. This portion of Animal Radio was underwritten by Fear Free. The veterinarian isn't typically thought of as your pet's favorite place to go. With Fear Free, that all changes. To learn more and find a certified Fear Free veterinary professional near you, visit fearfreepets.com. People say less is more. At Red Barn, we think less is better. It's what you won't find that sets our natural premium pet food apart. No byproducts, no corn or soy, no fillers. Just the natural ingredients your pets need to live the healthy life they deserve. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Naturals Pet Food. Simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. Try our chicken rolled food as a meal or shred it as a topper. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. It's Animal Radio, celebrating the connection with our pets. Now imagine when you were a kid, that pet that you had when you were like 10 years old, Mm -hmm. if that pet was still alive today, it was still your pet. Could you imagine? Oh, my gosh. That would be an old pet for me. (laughs) Certainly. And most cats and dogs, of course, they only live, well, they, you know, mostly a couple decades. If Yeah, not long enough. But our next guest, Gina Smith, she is a, she's, do you mind if I say your age, Gina? No, I don't mind. Okay, Gina is 65 years old, and you've had your pet since you were 10 years old. Wow. That's correct. What kind of pet is it? This is a gopher tortoise. Um, he's a desert tortoise, so they are commonly found in Arizona or Texas. And, and how did the uh, tortoise come into your life? Well, I loved turtles and tortoises as a girl and really wanted one that I could keep. And uh, my father was a friend of the zoo director in Milwaukee at the time and arranged for me to to get this gopher tortoise, who I have named George. <laughs> and that was my 10th birthday present. You're the first person I've ever met that has had a pet so long. How long do tortoises live? Well, in his natural habitat, he could live 40 to 60 years. But in captivity, um, he may push 80 or 100 Wow. wow. Now, did you know at the time as a 10-year-old girl that this was going to be pretty much a lifelong pet? Did you even think about that? Well, I don't believe that I thought about that. I was uh, very serious about his care and really took him every place um, and uh, felt very connected to him right from the beginning. And it never occurred to me that he wouldn't be around. I guess I should put it that way. You said you took him every place. What kind of places did you take him? Well, even as a girl, he used to ride in my bike basket, and he'd <laughs> go to my best friend's house with me, 
And when my family went on summer vacations, we would go to Door County in Wisconsin. My uncle had a cabin there, and George would come along for that and walk along the beach on the shores of Lake Michigan. And, of course, he went to college with me when I moved out of my parents' home. And they allowed you to have your pet turtle there at college, huh? Well, I'm not sure that they were really uh, aware that that was going on. But, of course, all my uh, friends on the floor uh, of my dormitory knew he was in there. But he he was a very quiet pet, so I'm sure that didn't bother them. You eventually got married. How did this affect your relationship with your husband? Well, he does, on occasion, have to care for George. um, But he's more than willing to do that. And I think my husband... Um, is very attached to George, as I am. Have you had any scares? Did George run away or anything ever? Well, I can't really say he runs away. He has <laughs> been lost on a number of occasions by um, getting out of his enclosure. And that is very frightening in Minnesota because he, of course, couldn't tolerate any cold temperatures. But um, I've been very fortunate in, you know, all the neighborhood kids coming out to look for him and um, always have gotten him back. So we are very careful with him. Is he microchipped? No. Um, I don't know how you really want to do that to a nice tortoise. Do you have any other animals? I do. I have a Labrador um, named Reggie, and he is just two. And George has had... Many other dogs, all Labradors. Um, I had Labradors as a girl, and George, of course, outlived all of them. And my two that I had as a adult person. Um, so now he's on like his fifth Labrador, I think. Whoa! Does he get along with the dogs? You know they do. Um, you kind of have to watch because certainly a puppy would be over curious and might feel that the chew toys. So. They're really not left um, to their own devices, I'll say. I'm wondering how you have um, a desert tortoise that survives in Minnesota. Well, George only summers outside and spends the rest of the winter months inside the house. Is it legal to own him where you live? Well, it is not illegal in the sense that he was born in captivity and gifted to me. Um, many, many years ago, you can't acquire these tortoises anymore um, because they are on the endangered species list. If he's 56 years old, the chances are he could live to 100, especially being uh, protected inside. I mean, he could live to the uh, Bieber administration. I mean, don't say that. (laughs) What if he outlives you? Well, I, I have one daughter who fortunately lives just a mile from me. And she now has four children, and they all love George, and George will go and live with some one of her family. Do turtles have a lot of personality? You know, I, I really feel that they do. They are um, really charming to look at, of course. And after all this time, George certainly knows my voice and will uh, walk towards me. Um, you know, he he's a really neat guy. I, I really, really think he's a great pet. Well, we thank you for coming on the air and telling us this wonderful story. Go give uh, George, I don't know if you'd give him a hug, what, what you do, give him a pat <laughs> on the shell from all of us here at Animal Radio. 
I will do that. And thank you for being interested in George. That's a very interesting story. Thank you, Gina. You're welcome. Bye now. Take care now. This portion of Animal Radio is underwritten by Pet Playgrounds, makers of the safe and reliable real dog fencing system in the world. Pet Playgrounds can be installed by anyone on any terrain, even over rocks, trees, roots, and uneven land. Their website's PetPlayGrounds.com. And thanks, Pet Playgrounds, for underwriting Animal Radio. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. All dogs should eat a pH-balanced alkaline diet. An alkaline diet reduces health risks and can also reduce scratching, shedding, and hot spots. So does this mean you need to check your dog's pH balance? No, because canine caviar has created the first and only alkaline dog food that is pH balanced. It also has the highest metabolized calories. What does this mean? Your dog needs to eat less. Get a healthier dog and save money with canine caviar products. Find them at your local pet supply store or online at caninecaviar.com. Celebrating the connection with our pets, this is Animal Radio, featuring your dream team, veterinarian Dr. Debbie White and groomer Joey Villani. And here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. We all know that our animals have senses that are far beyond our very own. You know, they can see things that we can't see. They can hear things we can't hear. Yeah. And they can smell things we can't smell. And there may be other senses that we don't even know about, which I suspect (laughs) there is. Today, we're going to be talking to a nosologist. I don't know what the name is for that. Is that uh, olfactory? I thought about that. Wouldn't yeah. it be rhino something? Rhinologist. Yeah, yeah. I would say ol- ol- olfactologist. Olfactologist. Uh-huh. I would make that word up if it's not already there. <laughs> well, we're just going to go with that, and we're going to create a word today, perhaps, here on Animal Radio. We're going to be talking to olfactologist Frank Russell from Norway. He's, uh, he's a scientist over there that studies the schnozes on everything from... Beavers to cats and dogs. and uh, Why did you put beavers first? Well, I know, that's so odd to say beavers. <laughs> that, that's his primary focus. Yeah, that's the reason I said it is because he actually started yes. studying beaver noses. Oh, I see. Yeah, so that's, uh, wow. that's all on the level there. He'll be joining us in just a few minutes, and he'll tell us what our dogs can actually smell. Because, you know, when we take them for a walk, they stop, they sniff. What are they sniffing? They obviously are, are digesting a lot of data and information, mm-hmm. like uh, I think species or when somebody was there last or maybe Is what they ate. I male don't know. or female. Yeah. We'll find out all of those coming up in just a few minutes. And he'll tell us all of, also about the dogs that can smell cancer. Yeah, I know. That's really weird, huh? That's all on the way in just a few minutes right here on Animal Radio. Lori, what are you working on? I got to tell you, this is real news, okay? I mean, as strange as it sounds, it's not fake stuff because it's been happening a lot lately. But what happens when your dog is not really a dog? Because they're having a a huge problem with this in China where a family's dog has become a bear. (laughs) Does that make sense? Well, this just happened like a couple of weeks ago, didn't it? The same thing? It was a... You know what? It's happening a lot, Hal. And what the experts say could be behind all of these stories of, oh, I didn't know my dog was a bear. Oh, my dog is really a white fox. Those kind of stories. (laughs) Okay, that's on the way with uh, Lori Brooks in just a few minutes. Let's go to the phones for your calls. Hey, Jeannie. Hi. Hi, where are Um, you? I'm sorry. What's going on? (laughs) Well, I have a black Labrador, and every once in a while... Uh, he's afraid to walk across the hardwood floors. Okay. So, like, 
he'll get up on the couch and he'll put two paws down and then he'll cry and cry and cry. And I go to help him down and he fights when he finally gets down and then he runs across the floor real fast and gets in his bed. Okay. How old is he? He's seven. Seven years old. Has he always done this or is this a newer uh, behavior? He does it like once or twice a year. Hmm. Okay. So at other times of the year, he'll walk over the floor without any kind of problem. Yes. Uh-huh. That's really interesting. Mm. If it was something that was present all the time, then I would talk about, you know, uh, a phobia about a different substrate. And we do see that in dogs where they will um, uh, see a change in the texture or the the contrast of flooring, uh, like light to dark to, uh, flooring. Um, and then they have an anxiety and a fear about that. Um, but that would not typically be something that goes away and then gets better without some other reason. So I guess the reasons that I would look at would be something that might be a physical issue with his um, mobility when he's going across that floor. Is he losing his footing? Is he slipping? Um, yeah. Or has he had some kind of a, a fall and he doesn't trust walking on that floor? Is, is that the case? Well, he does, when he goes across the floor real fast to get to his bed, he'll slip and slide. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, it is possible that he's having, um, whether or not he has any kind of like orthopedic problem that's causing him pain or, you know, some change in his gait and his inability, you know, like an inability to um, normally walk on that kind of surface. Um so that's one thing. So that might be, you know, a good reason just to have him checked by your vet and make sure there's nothing going on um, neurologically or orthopedically in his in his uh, legs. Um, but if it is more that he's just had, say, a bad scare, he slipped and he fell while he was running around being a goofball, then I'd say the, the, the first thing I would do would be to look at ways to improve his um, his grip on the floor. And uh, the simple things are to put um, area rugs, you know, throw rugs that have a, a good uh, backing that won't slip and slide um, to give him okay. some surface on that. Um, the other thing would be to also just, you know, really work with him with um, kind of almost like a training um, session and to just reassure him, um, keep him on a, you know, short leash, um, sit at the couch, take a step off the couch and sit on the floor with him and give him a treat and then take another step forward, encourage him forward and, you know, uh, give him another treat and, and really work on building that um, positive association that it's okay to walk across that flooring. Um, okay, and, you know, and, there's one other thing. He, I can't hit those kind of collars that you put on flea collars that are supposed to last eight months. And uh-huh. it seems like whenever I put one of those new ones on, uh-huh. it seems like this happens. So you're cutting oh. out just a little bit. I just want to get this. So when you put on a flea collar, this is when he has trouble going across the floor. Yeah. Oh, okay. possibly be something in the flea collar that's causing that? Yeah, and you know there there are certain pets that we do see this type of problem. Some pets can actually have um, a type of uh, nerve pain or an irritation in the skin itself associated with some of the, the different products. You see it a little bit more in kitties, um, but it certainly is possible. And, and that's a very um, interesting um, association that you found 
that if it's only at that time, then it certainly can be related to that. Um, for some pets, it is a temporary thing and it can go away, but it, it would be maybe a cause for me to want to look at an alternative product for him for a flea tick um, medication. Do you know what kind of collar it is? You know, I can't, I'm not at home, but I can't remember the name of it. It's like Spinago. Okay, okay, yeah. I mean, it could be a Soresto collar. That's a common one that we use for long durations. But, uh, okay, maybe that's yeah. good. Yeah, well, I would certainly say it would be um, a good reason to look at an alternative, maybe instead of a you know a flea collar approach to your, your flea and tick needs, is maybe to try one of the longer-acting oral products. Um, Nexgard and Brevecto are two different products that um, you, you give a pill and it lasts for several months. So that might be a good alternative to try for your next time and see if you encounter a similar problem or not. Oh, okay. Yeah, I kind of wondered about the oral. I, you know, kind of avoided them because I didn't know if that was like giving them poison, you know. But the oral yeah. ones are okay. Well, it really depends. You know, there are pets that will have a dermal reaction to a topical product, um, but they may not be the same pets that would have a a, a reaction with an oral product because, you know, they're in different forms. Um, A lot of times with topical products, there's other things in those products that can cause an irritation to uh, the skin. Um, So, you know, it's not to say that he's going to have a problem with another type of product in a pill form, but uh, it it would just be different. (laughs) Okay, okay. Well, thank you so much because, you know, I worry about him when he gets like that. He'll wake me up in the middle of the night crying because he won't get off the couch. Hmm. And, uh, I, you know, I have to go in there and eventually force him off. And then he runs to either my bedroom or runs to his bed. And, you know, it's kind of difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That's Well, that's an interesting call. I'm going to put this up on uh, the list of more peculiar uh, problems that people have called in with. <laughs> there's, there's not a lot of things that make you scratch your head, but you're scratching your head there. <laughs> Thank you, J.D., for, for your call and uh, making Dr. Debbie scratch her head. Toll free, 1-866-405-8405 to reach out to the Dream Team. And don't forget, you can ask your questions from the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android and BlackBerry. This portion of Animal Radio is underwritten by Brilliant Pad. Tired of handling stinky puppy pads? The Brilliant Pad self-cleaning dog potty wraps and seals waste to keep your home clean and odor-free. Messy and smelly is replaced with clean and fresh. Do your pads do that? Their website's BrilliantPad.com. Thanks, Brilliant Pad, for underwriting Animal Radio. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. Hi, it's Alan Cable. Here's something interesting. What do you think that is? Believe it or not, that's actually a French bulldog begging to get up on the couch. (laughs) Crazy. Didn't know they could make that sound, did you? Dogs surprise us every day. Everybody's talking about the video of the dogs driving. And we actually talked to that gentleman on the show. He's an amazing trainer. So today we're going to talk about his training technique. It's called clicker training. So what is it? Well, whenever your dog does something you want him to do, you use a clicker. It makes a short click sound, and it tells your dog exactly when they're doing something right. When you combine it with positive reinforcement like a treat or a good boy, it's a very powerful way to teach your dog to do a behavior. 
behavior. Researchers have long known that dogs create associations, so the more you pair up a desired action with a positive consequence, the stronger the association becomes. For instance, my dog has a rug in the kitchen, and that's where he gets lots of treats. I give him a lot of affection there, too. So whenever he sees me, he gets up and walks over and lays down on his rug. He makes an association with the rug that when he's there, most of the time he gets a treat, affection, or both. Brings us back to our bulldog who probably gets let up on the couch when he makes that sound. So now that we know about actions and consequences and how they create an association in your dog's mind, let's talk about what a clicker is effective in doing. The hardest, most difficult thing for you to do is to let your dog know what you want. The clicker speeds that up. You have to click at the exact moment the behavior you want happens. If your dog sits, you click. If your dog lays down, you click. If he gives you his paw, you click. It's like taking a picture of the exact behavior you want to reinforce. You actually click before you start giving the dog a command or a hand signal. The first couple of times, you just wait for your dog to sit, then you give him a quick click and a treat. When your dog gets clicked several times for sitting and starts to repeat the behavior knowing exactly what earns the click, you can start using a hand signal or the word sit. A clicker will help you be very clear in the behavior you want from your dog. Be patient and remember, good boy. This is Animal Radio, baby. Hey, this is Paula Poundstone. Wait, I forget where I am. Animal Radio. Animal Radio. I love that. All right. Hey, this is Paula Poundstone on Animal Radio. Spay and neuter your pets or we're going to be eaten alive. Nature at its best is nature at its simplest. At Red Barn, we've kept it simple for 20 years by concentrating on single-ingredient natural dog treats. Because Mother Nature's actually pretty good at this. Bones are just tasty bones. Meat treats are just nourishing meat. It's nature at its simplest. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Natural Treats. Simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. Try our slow-roasted natural meaty bones. Do you travel with your dog? Of course. My pets are part of our family. Me too. I take Daisy with me everywhere. Right, Daisy? So how do you find out what hotels welcome your dog? I read Fido Friendly, the travel and lifestyle magazine for you and your dog. Sounds perfect for planning our next vacation. Right, Daisy? It is. Their motto is leave no dog behind, and they have great hotel and destination reviews. Where can I find the magazine? Go online to FidoFriendly.com. I will for sure. Come on, Daisy. We're off to find our next adventure. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. Oh, I'm so excited. Snout Guy or the olfactologist. Is that what you called it? Olfactologist. I, that's the new word I made up. I don't know if it's real or not. The but. guy that studies noses of our animals will be on in just a few minutes right here on Animal Radio. Need I say more? you got to stick around for that. It should be a lot of fun. Lori, what are you working on for this hour's news? Well, this is a big flashback. Um, it was one of the biggest uh, man-made disasters ever in the universe. <laughs> now, finally, the animals that were affected from this. 1986 was the year, and we finally are set to make things right for some of those animals. I think I know what that incident was. 1986, you said? I'm not going to ruin it, though. Okay. Don't don't give it away. I won't. Let's go ahead and take one for Dr. Debbie right now. 1-866-405-8405. We have Pinky on the Hey, Pinky, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? I love that name. How did you get that name? Um, actually, the day I was born, my grandmother gave it to me because I was soaking. And I'm 61, and I still have the name. <laughs> oh, I love it. 
Well, I have Dr. Debbie right here for you. What's going on with your animal? Well, I have a 14-year-old border collie, and she's had she has bad genes. She's a, um, a puppy mill dog, and okay. so I've been I've had problems all all of her life. But I got her when she was about a year old. Right now, the problem is I'm just want to find out what's the best amount of exercise would be for her. She does have hip dysplasia and she does have advanced um, arthritis. She does get a lot of care. She goes monthly and gets acupuncture and she gets chiropractic care and she's on um, Chinese herbs and also other um, like glucosamine products and has been since she was about four. Um, But my what I'm wondering about is if how much exercise she should get. Okay, Basically. great question. I mean, thank you. Yeah, and, and you sound like you've, you're tapping into a lot of different uh, modalities to help control pain and how to keep her mobile in her senior years there. So that's, that's wonderful. And it, it, the hard thing is that this is a difficult question to answer for every pet as a blanket statement. And my response normally is the amount of exercise we want for a senior pet with arthritis depends on their existing muscle tone and strength and um, also what they can tolerate already. So for instance, my 13 and a half year old dog, we usually get out for walks almost every day. Um, and that's something that has helped to maintain some muscle mass. If we have a pet that has lost a lot of muscle tone because they can't move their legs as well and they're arthritic and painful, they're not gonna have the stamina to withstand to um, more um, lengthy exercise. So for some senior pets of that age, you know, I might just say, hey, just take them to the corner and uh, of the block and, and bring them home. And, and the ways that we determine how much is enough and not too much is really on how well the pet is tolerating it during the activity. So for walking, it's a weight-bearing activity. So, um, you know, weight management is always somewhere in that therapy for dealing with arthritis and how to manage that. So um, we want to just make sure that when we're coming back and returning from our exercise that we're not lagging, we're not dragging feet, and we're not... Um, breathing excessively um, hard. If we're seeing any of that, then we need to cut things back in the activity. And in my guideline of 30 minutes is, you know, for some old dogs, that is more than enough. And some others, 10 minutes might be more than enough. Um, now, swimming, warmer months of the year, swimming is fabulous. And an older pet, as long as we do this with supervision, they can help to maintain good muscle tone by doing regular swimming activity. And I'm much more apt to get a pet in a water treadmill um, during the cold months um, if you have that opportunity at a, a pet um, a rehabilitation facility or uh, some pools actually have that for pets in their uh, daycare facilities and such. Um, so that might be something else that you can do to help maintain that muscle tone without putting a lot of stress on those joints that are you know already achy and having some problems well it's funny you say that because um, after she did have ACL surgery um, about five six years ago afterwards I would put a um, harness on her we have a big pool so that's Uh in ground pool Um, I would put a harness on her and a leash and I would walk around the pool as she'd swim you know, and and I did that for therapy. So she's exactly. not a, a, she likes to get into the water. She'll get in and lay on the step. So, you uh-huh. know, it feels good to her And when we have a lot of, um, you know, hot summer days, which we do here. 
Yeah, definitely. And and it is so important. And I, I hate to say that, you know, you shouldn't walk your senior pet if they have arthritis or hip problems because it really can make a difference to keeping some of those pets mobile into their um, very senior, senior years. So um, you just have to use some good sense with that. Right. Yeah, because I have arthritis too. So I, I know, I, I but I go to the gym regularly. So uh-huh. even though it's not a lot and there's certain things that are better than others, like swimming is, is very good. Um, but I'm I just try and do every possible thing I can so that she's, you know, not in pain. And mm-hmm. and she's, I, um, has, she has been raw fed all her life, except for the last couple of years. She hasn't been able to, her stomach is more sensitive, so I cook for her. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's been on an excellent diet. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why she's so old, considering all the problems we've had. Yeah, well, Pinky, you sound like you're definitely attentive mom number one. So I, I applaud you on that. So thank you for your call. We appreciate you calling in to Animal Radio. Thank you very much. This portion of Animal Radio is underwritten by Brilliant Pad. Brilliant Pad is proud to support the animal shelter and rescue community. The Brilliant Pad Shelter Program donates products for fundraisers and for use by shelters and foster families. Adopting families can get a free Brilliant Pad system. The website's brilliantpad.com slash shelters. And thanks, Brilliant Pad, for underwriting Animal Radio. 1-866-405-8405. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. Hey, folks, this is Jackson Galaxy. You're listening to Animal Radio. Please do everyone a favor, spay or neuter your animals today. We can't tell you why canine caviar is the only alkaline-based dog food, but we can tell you alkaline is proven to minimize the risk of renal failure and pancreatitis, reduce scratching, cellular degeneration, and disease, keeping your furry friend youthful and healthy longer. And those are the reasons we can fit into this short commercial. But by visiting caninecaviar.com, you'll see exactly what we do to make a better food for your dog. Try the one and only alkaline dog food risk-free. Canine Caviar. This is an Animal Radio News Update. And I'm Lori Brooks. There is more canine confusion in China. Uh, Just a few days after news had broke that there was a woman in China who found out that her puppy that she bought from a pet store last year was actually a fox, we now have information about another woman who has sadly come to a similar conclusion about what she thought was her pet dog. In this case, the, the woman bought a puppy believing it was a Tibetan Mastiff dog. So you've never seen a Tibetan Mastiff? They're Let me big, give you a little. They? They're very big. But I can also tell you that they look very similar to a bear cub. Really? Kind of like Chow's would look like a bear. Yes, yes. So one day, the woman says that her family was just amazed by her pet's massive appetite because it would chow down on a box of fruit plus two buckets of noodles every day. Now, I don't know. That's certainly not a grain-free diet. No. Uh, But I don't know what kind of diet that is. But it wasn't until this pet reached 250 pounds and began walking around on its hind legs that they finally realized that something here was very, very wrong. Turns out the dog was actually an Asiatic black bear. And that uh, black bear has since been given to a wildlife rescue center because Asiatic black bears are listed as a very vulnerable species. They're in high demand in places like Vietnam, 
because there they are illegally traded and milked for their liver bile. And uh, bile, which is a yellow liquid, is then falsely marketed as a treatment for everything from cancers to hangovers. But that's not, you know, that's a myth that it cures anything there. But now, think about this. Are all of these mistaken animal identities really mistakes? Uh, you got to love National Geographic because they went to the founder and president of Wildlife Rescue and Rehabilitation in San Antonio, Texas. And he says that young wild animals have a really different look and smell to them compared to our usual domesticated pets, that wild animals are going to be noticeably more scared and anxious in unfamiliar environments with humans than their domesticated dog and cat counterparts. He also says that uh, his first reaction to all of this, oh my gosh, I didn't know my dog was really a bear. He says it's more than it being an honest mistake. In other words, he says, if a person is tied up in a controversial, possibly criminal situation with animals, saying they mistook a wild animal for a domesticated one might be their way out of legal charges and prosecution. It's uh, it's, it's got to be. Sure, because really, can you not tell the difference? Well, I mean, we, didn't we report on the story about firemen yeah. rescuing oh, uh, yes. what they thought what were puppies that? down a drain and they were actually fox? We're, we're talking about a bear yes. here. Yeah, but still, when they're with their babies, I mean, I you know, Ladybug, luckily she was a dog, but she wasn't the dog I thought she was as a puppy when she grew up. As When they're little, it's kind of hard to tell. Oh, my God. Oh, really? But, but I don't but think. You, okay, but you think that they would have a clue before it reaches 250 yeah, pounds and it's yeah. been walking around on its hind legs for a year. Yeah. Although there are dogs that can do that, right? <laughs> L- listen up. If your dog walks on its hind legs and eats lots of fruit, maybe it's a bear. <laughs> just saying. Just, I there just... are dogs that can walk around on their hind legs. I've seen it. <sighs> it's called uh, Pedal something. P E D A L. <laughs> Really, look it up, okay, and I'll, I'll do this story. Now, it was back in 1986 that the Chernobyl nuclear power plant melted down. Remember, it was reactor number four, creating this huge evacuation area for more than 120,000 humans. And notice we say just humans because that was some time ago and many pets were left behind. So over the last 32 years, the surviving former pets have multiplied, creating this community of hundreds, thousands even, of pets, former pets that live in the Chernobyl exclusion zone, as it's known, and another 250 that live on the actual grounds of the former plant itself. But now about a dozen of those homeless puppies will be headed to the United States for adoption. Thank you very much to the Clean Futures Fund, which has begun a three-year program in the exclusion zone, where they have spayed and neutered a 1,000 animals, or that's their goal. Also, they will be microchipping and vaccinating them against rabies, and they did the first 350 of them last summer. Mommy, can we can we adopt a glowing dog? I'm Lori Brooks. Get more breaking animal news anytime at AnimalRadio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. It is Animal Radio. This is where we celebrate the connection with our pets. 
they're very unique in that they're they give you all that unconditional love. They can see things we can't. They can hear things we can't. They can smell things we can't. <laughs> That's why they make great protectors. Yes. And the the next gentleman that we have on joining us is Dr. Frank Russell. He's a professor at the Department of Environmental and Health Sciences at the University College of Southeast Norway. He studies noses, not just dog noses, but uh, noses of all kinds of animals. Hi, Frank. How are you doing? Hello. Hi. I'm doing fine. Thank you. Very Thanks good. for the invitation. What time is it there? It's uh, 9.30 here in Norway, so, so it's... it's starting to be pretty late. Thank you for oh, staying my... up late yes. to be on the show with us today. So you study noses. Is there a is there a, an official name for a person who studies that, the olfactory senses? <laughs> no, <laughs> that's a good question. I don't really know. <laughs> but you started, you were interested in noses from just a young kid and, and the smells that animals can smell, right? Yes. I got my first dog, uh, Tinka, she was called when I was 12 years old, and she actually followed me on all these beaver trips, because I, I actually ran a long-term project about beavers here in Norway, and that's when I started to observe her. She used her nose everywhere, and we were out on beaver trips, she even smelled uh, beaver scent marks. Wow. So you were studying the olfactory senses of beavers? Yes, that's what I've been uh, focused mostly on for the last uh, almost 30 years now. I don't think of beavers as having a good good <laughs> schnoz, like they, but they can smell a lot of what? things? Oh, yeah. They are probably as good as dogs. Good as dogs. What can dogs smell? I guess my question is, and I'm going to be pretty frank here, I take my dog out for a walk. She has to stop every 10, 15 feet to smell a, a fire hydrant or a, a bush or something. I assume she's smelling where other dogs have marked. And I, I liken it to Facebook. You know, she this is her Facebook. She goes, she, she reads the posts, and she might even comment by peeing on it. <laughs> what, what, exactly. is it what is it that they're smelling? Well, if, if you're talking about peeing, they can smell a lot of different things. First of all, they understand it's another dog that a pee there, so it's the species. And maybe, maybe they, we don't know much about this, but who knows, maybe some breed differences as well. Wow. But definitely, if it's a male, he will understand it's a female that have a scent mark there, if she's in heat or not, and who, who is she? So have I met this lady before? or not. <laughs> yes. So, and also maybe the age of the scent mark. So wow. did she pass long time before me or just recently? Is it true that they use one nostril for, like they use their right nostril for things that are unfamiliar and they use their left nostril for familiar scents? Yeah, that's actually one study showing that. So if it's some not dangerous scent like food, lemon, uh, secretion from a female, for instance, a dog, they actually first use their right nostril because they're not sure what this is, and then they switch to left because they are more certain then that this is nothing dangerous. So they are using the left side of the brain. Wow. So the left side of the brain is connected to the left nostril. Mm. And if you, for instance, give uh, your dog some sweat odor from a veterinarian, then they use only the right nose. <laughs> or nostril, sorry. So that means that they are, the right side of the brain 
is connected to negative emotions. Okay. Wow. But it's one interesting thing you should be aware of next time around. And you all know about um, the tail wagging of a dog. Yes. Right. That if the tail is going to the right, to the right side of the dog, his right side, uh-huh. then it's actually happy. So it's opposite compared with the Their nose. man's to the nostrils. So here it's a change. It's going from the right side of the body to the left side of the brain. So the nerves crosses here. Oh. Don't do that. With, yeah, so it's opposite. So you need to kind of be aware of this. And if you see another dog, we are out in a dog park, for instance, and suddenly the tail is going to the left, the dog's left. Then you should be worried. <laughs> then, it's, then it's negative emotions. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. I have so many questions, especially about service animals. We're with Frank Russell. He's a professor at the Department of Environmental and Health Services at the University College of Southeast Norway. And uh, up next, I want to find out about service animals. So stick around. This portion of Animal Radio is underwritten by Pet Playgrounds. Pet Playgrounds makes physical, non-electric, do-it-yourself dog fence kits, not electric fences. And they offer professional installation services nationwide. Their website's PetPlaygrounds.com. And thank you, Pet Playgrounds, for underwriting Animal Radio. In today's automotive news, the Mercedes-Benz G-Wagon was just named one of the world's most iconic vehicles of all time. The G-Wagon, or the Glendewagen, has been built on the same production lines since its inception and first model. The G-Class was developed as a military vehicle. Mercedes offered the first civilian model in 1979. It was launched in 2002 as the Mercedes-Benz G500 with a V8 petrol engine. Now the G-Wagon has three locking differentials, is extremely capable off-road, and still used as the primary vehicle by the Nigerian police. For more, go to OurAutoExpert.com. I'm Nick Miles. My Chrysler Pacifica is totally loaded. It has stow-and-go seating, the available Uconnect theater, and listen to these speakers. Hey, Mom, what was that song? Huh? What song? Chrysler Pacifica. It's loaded with attitude. Chrysler is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. Hi, friends. This is Dr. Marty Becker, America's veterinarian. After a traumatic experience at the veterinary office, have you ever thought to yourself, there has to be a better way? When your veterinarian is fear-free certified, you'll find your pet's vet visit is safer, more comfortable, and actually enjoyable. Your dog will go from shaking in the lobby to pulling you into the exam room with a wagon tail, and your cat will be purring inside the carrier. To find a certified fear-free veterinarian near you, go to fearfreepets.com. This portion of Animal Radio is underwritten by the grain-free Red Barn Naturals canned food for dogs and cats, always made in the USA with natural, functional ingredients to support your pet's optimal health. Their website's redbarninc.com. And thank you, Red Barn, for underwriting Animal Radio. Joining us is Frank Russell. He's a professor in the Department of Environmental and Health Services at the University College of Southeast Norway. Whew, that's a mouthful. And he's the author of Secrets of the Snout, The Dog's Incredible Nose. Judy, I know you had a question. I'm worried whenever I meet a dog, it goes right for my crotch. Why is that? Yeah, I hate that. I, <laughs> yes. That, that's crazy. And I consider yeah, myself that's... a clean guy. I mean, I shower a lot, and but that drives me crazy when that happens. Yeah, you, you don't shower enough, I think, because it's more or less <laughs> impossible. If you think about it, you have five million different glands, scent glands on your body. And it's something called apocrine glands, sweat glands, that are exactly on your private spot. And this uh, scent, or the scent from these glands, 
say something about who you are. So let's first try to identify you. Do I know you? Do I not know you? Who are you? And then later, they actually sniff other places to figure out what kind of emotional or mental state you are in. Okay, it has nothing to do with cleanliness. No. <laughs> how, how far away can dogs smell? Yeah, we don't really know exactly, but it's some, at least some rumors I've seen out there saying that uh, a dog can sniff, uh, for instance, a male dog can sniff a uh, female in heat four kilometers away. Wow. Yeah, that's a pretty long distance. And actually, my dog, uh, one morning, he just disappeared. And I phoned, phoned him, I guess, two kilometers away from uh, over house. And then she was on the porch uh, at uh, uh, a female in heat. <laughs> As happy as ever, wagging his tail to the right. (laughs) I know there are service animals that can detect people that are going to have a seizure or people that have diabetes. Or cancer. Or cancer. How how are the dogs able to to identify these things? I mean, how is a dog able to say, okay, this guy's going to have a seizure in a few minutes? Well, it's not that easy with a seizure. I think Uh, it's started to come some research about the gnome, but it's probably uh, the cells are changing and when you breathe out, they, they dog can sniff the change. For cancer, you know, the first dogs, they actually sniffed on a leg of a woman in England, in London, and they, uh, they could figure out that she had cancer because of just the mole was releasing some chemicals that was not there before. I find that so intriguing. I think there's even dogs that sniff out pirated CDs and DVDs at custom borders. Yes, yes, they can do that. So it was actually uh, from a lot of CDs that was illegally produced. I can't remember exactly the country, but it was in Asia somewhere. And they can sniff out more or less everything you can imagine. Just if they have some scent, they can sniff it out. I was really surprised when I wrote the book that they had so many different jobs that we have put them to, you know, they can sniff everything from, as you say, diseases, or if you are at the customs, or if you, you all know about police dogs. And for my own research, I actually used them for sniffing of beaver scents. <laughs> beaver scents. Yeah, and in, in Finland... Because in the in Finland they have introduced both beaver species. We have two different beaver species, the North American one and the Eurasian one. And when I did some chemical analysis, I have a background as a chemical engineer, and we used something called a GCMS, a gas chromatograph with mass spectrometer, and we couldn't find a difference in the P from the beavers between these two species. So I asked the dogs. And they actually sniffed it out. They told me which one is the North American, which one is the Eurasian beaver. And in Finland, the whole purpose of the study is that they don't want the North American beaver in Finland. So then just giving me a scent mark, I can ask my dogs to tell me which species it is. I got to ask, though, do you have like a refrigerator or freezer full of like <laughs> different animals, yeah. excrements, pee <laughs> and fecal material? I mean, is this yeah. something that I could get a sense for from you? <laughs> yeah, I have, it's a little bit embarrassing, but uh, I guess uh, I have 1,500 uh, poos from the beavers. Oh, my gosh. A lot of other species as well. <laughs> so, yeah. 
You got to be yeah, careful exactly. when you take the lean cuisine out of the freezer that you're getting the right thing. Exactly. I'm not sure all my colleagues are that happy. <laughs> uh, so this may be out of your scope, but why do dogs roll in different scents? Probably to, to take away their own scent. So from from when they were wolves, you know, in the old days, uh, so they don't get eaten by other predators. That's what people think. That's the main thing. But we really don't know. The book looks fascinating. It's called Secrets of the Snout. So I'm going to give out 10 copies of the books right now. If you're not lucky enough to get on through, you can head on over to our website at animalradio.pet and hit the As Heard on Animal Radio button to, to learn more. Frank, thank you so much for staying up late tonight and joining us. Thank you for being a part of the show. Once again, it has just flown by. If you have any questions about the books or anything you've heard on today's show, head on over to animalradio.pet and hit the As Heard on Animal Radio button. And you know what else you'll find over there? The books Dr. Debbie writes. Yorkshire Terriers, Shih Tzus, Pugs, Mini Schnauzers, How to Be Your Dog's Best Friend. Find links over at animalradio.pet and hit the As Heard on Animal Radio. And of course, if you need your fix during the week, download the Animal Radio app for iPhone, Android, and Blackberry. Have yourself a great week. Bye-bye. Bye. I just wanted to remind everybody that if you want to make your voice heard on emotional mm. support animals flying on airplanes, that the Department of Transportation is now soliciting your opinions. And we do have that uh, website that you will need. The link on our website. Just go to animalradio.com. This is Animal Radio Network. Network.